when I was fishing with my uncle, we used landmarks for setting our pots. And on one particular one, there's this rocky outcrop that has three stones like three triangles on it when it's on low tide. And the name of it in Irish is Clochor on Ukira. Clochor is the Irish for a rocky outcrop. And on Ukira, I never heard what it was. But I heard it in the place name. Got the dictionary out. And Ukira is the Irish word for the three-spined stickleback, which is a small little fish that has three spines on his back, similar to the rocky outcrop. Now that tells me that my ancestors, first of all, had seen a stickleback, could describe it, and named this rocky outcrop after it, which is amazing. Like I read about sticklebacks because they're used in science and in experiments in college. I had never seen one in the in the wild, but in growing up in the language, I was talking about it every day of the week when I was fishing, and it's a gift from my ancestors passed on through my previous generations. Like light on the Atlantic Sea of Galway and wave light from the sea, connecting Connemara and this county to the whole world, and to a future we can only gaze at or gauge in our imaginations, as people have done for generations in this place of earth wonders and world connections, maritime trade and commerce, passionate voices and lived music, this county of many parts and contradictions. The Spalpeens, or hired labourers of Connemara, built many of the stone walls in fertile East Galway. It's easy to romanticise the west of Ireland, but those who live here know you can't eat a sea view or live on beauty. Just as the Irish language has survived in communities here, generational knowledge of sea and land has endured, and respect and knowledge go a long way towards sustaining life. On the shoreline at Kilkiron in Connemara, gazing out to sea, I meet Macdara O'Cuig, who carries his culture and language and this, his home place, with an easy pride. And his work as a marine scientist is utterly grounded in this place. People think Ireland, we're on the edge. When it comes to the marine, we're not on the edge. We're bang in the middle of where you want to be. All the weather and all the sea comes from across the Atlantic to us, and before it hits Europe, it hits us here. So this is a great location to be working in the field that I work in. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. The job I'm in now, I'm the Sea Fishery Liaison, team leader with the Marine Institute, where I work with fishermen all around the coast. We can bring data from the deck of a boat into the scientific system. What kind of data then are you looking for? Are you looking into, at things in terms of stock? You know, what's there? Uh, what condition it's in? How the sea is changing? What's affecting it? Levels of pollution? Is, it, is all that in the frame? All that is in the frame, yeah. We work with the fishermen because when fishermen are fishing, they're working to catch, to sell, and not all of the catch comes ashore. So if we didn't sample at sea, we wouldn't get the full length frequency of the catch. All the information is brought together by us as a country, and then we bring it into the international forum where we work with other nations as well who's, who fish the same grounds that we fish on to see the state of the stock or to see changes in pollution, all that kind of stuff. Like, What were some of your best days at sea here. There was a funny day actually and I went to shore on island west of here. Next thing I saw all these seagulls came up and one seagull went west, a big seagull and then he came towards me kamikaze style and he nearly hit me. I had to duck. I didn't realise on the day but I was actually standing near his nest. We, we rely on nature and nature relies on us to be respectful too, to yeah. get that balance right. And as a fisherman you're very close to that because you have to be because of the nature of the work. Your catch is dependent on the weather, it's depending on the tides, it's dependent on how you set your pots. Your part of the equation is how you set your pots, but everything else is outside of your control, which is very humbling and very important to realise. Yeah. And a little edge of danger in there too. There is, yeah, there if is. If you don't have your wits about you there all the time. There is, and you have to be aware of that danger. Here, when you grow up, 
you'll learn to respect the sea for the power she has. It's beautiful, the sun is scorching for you in the blue skies. Not far from Kilkiron is another small and proud local community in Muinish. Skull Kholman is a small national school in sight of the sea. The school now has 12 students, five of them Ukrainian children whose families moved to the area in January. Without them, the school might have lost its second teacher. A campaign from two years ago to attract new families to settle in Muinish didn't succeed. Not enough suitable or affordable houses to be got. You want to come inside? It's a very small school. And we have the classroom here where the older children work, third, fourth. Wulme Le Roshi Nikulon, Privija Skulkholman, Law Bra Bialtra. Junior infants and the senior infants, first and second class are in this classroom. Clearly, a school like this is an essential part of the community. Yeah. If this school was to close down, that's this little island of mine is here where you came in across the bridge. There's nothing here then, you know, and I mean, even the neighbours and everything have said to us not to hear those children, you know, laughing and playing and screeching and screaming at lunchtime. You know, you can tell someone there's a school in the area, they might move into the area and they can send their children here. And, you know, otherwise there's no life apart from people that are living here and holiday homes and stuff. It's maybe like taking the heart out of the place. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we can see here, you know, the advantage of just the small numbers in the school and, you know, they're getting all of the attention and. When you're in a big school in this 13-year class, you know, your teacher doesn't have the freedom to zone in on every individual person, whereas we can really look at a person here, at that child, and see who do you want to be, you know, who are you, and just help them to grow into that person and mould that person and give that person the time. And, yeah, we just hope that we can continue it and we don't have to close the doors. What do you all think you'd like to do when you're a bit bigger? I would love to be a baker and own a bakery with my best friend. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would love to be a sailor uh, just because all the Galway hookers and all the Koroks that go around near Connemara, it's really inspiring and I love the ocean. There's a boat maker, his name is Kieran Josie, near uh, Close. He does races and I got to go on one of his racing boats once. What would you like to do, do you think? Um, Maybe be a builder. My dad's a really good builder and he's building a house around here in Minish. And I've no doubt you'll all do what you want to do. And I think you're also very lucky to be in this school. Yeah. Okay, so we have Kejenya and Masha here. And um, they can show you maybe a bit of how we did maths with shapes. And we had both Irish words and Ukrainian words uh, for them. So maybe Kejenya, if you say, tell us what's this shape? Karnog. Quadrat. Kirkle. Kolo. Trianton. Trikotnik. It's ironic, I suppose, that the war in Ukraine has brought these children here. Them coming here must have brought challenges as well as rewards. I mean, and in terms of teaching, it must present challenges. Yeah, it was very difficult. It's very difficult. You want to do right by them and you don't want to take away from the children that we have. And yeah, so they came in January and even just getting to know them, it takes a while because the language barriers is massive, you know. What we could do, again, because it was a small school, we managed to give them a teacher on their own so we started them off in this classroom here all together the young and the old together and they were quite shy when they began and they were so frightened really you know this helped them to relax they were all together they were just relaxing getting happy I suppose in their environment and they got to know the place and then after Easter we moved them into the classes that they should be in according to their age and like they're doing really well now to be in with their peers and they're like communicating with each other and just the girls they'd be you know hugging each other and their friends you know And have you learned any Ukrainian words? Yet, I think that means no in Ukrainian and uh, Papa and Mama and, and Tato. Well, yeah, and then yeah. Tato or something. 
we can't understand what they might be saying and they might not understand what we are. But we learn to get over that and try to find new ways to communicate with each other. I asked uh, one of the Ukrainians, Masha, I asked her, uh, did you have a good day today? And she did understand, so she just gave me a piece of paper and pencil to write down what like, I wanted to say. So I just wrote down, did you have a good day today? And she actually understood what I was trying to say. So it's very fantastic. Well, uh, when I was younger, I always did piano lessons and I kind of always been into music anyway, but um, my little brother got a guitar off Santa for Christmas and he didn't end up using it. So I kind of stole it off him during the pandemic and I started teaching myself chords. From Muinish to another inspirational centre of learning, Galway Community College at Well Park on the shores of Loch Italia in Galway City. Grace McQuaid is one of thousands of young people who have found their path here. And it's also home to Music Generation Galway. I think it's safe to say I'm a little obsessed with you. It's creative outlet, you know? Like I'm able to sit down and I'm able to sit down and say, hey, I want to write a song. I think it's safe to say you've pulled me in. So I feel like opportunities like this both help me gain confidence and jump out of my shell as well as write new material and be happy with what I'm writing and get over the whole, oh no, what's everyone gonna think and just doing it. when you look at me and smile, I swear time stops for a while. It's like you're the ocean and I. So welcome, I'm Jen Hesnan from Music Generation Galway City. I'm the development officer for the city. But you're standing here now in the GCC Music Centre. It's a new space where during the day it'll be used by young people who are attending music here, doing a level five in music. But also after hours, there's about 300 young people coming through the doors to do small group lessons, uh, singer-songwriter groups, performance music education. And then attached to this situation, we also have the local secondary school in Galway Community College. So. I might bring you on a little tour of what you're, what you're looking at. So what we have here is the stage and we have a new lighting system installed. You see the 250 tiered seating here. Downstairs we have an, another rehearsal recording studio space and an instrument bank as well so young people can avail of instruments and rent instruments for the year. So I'll bring you in now to the recording studio. Jen, you might give us a little bit of a picture of that younger generation of musicians who are coming up and involved with, with music generation in Galway. To date, we've managed to engage over 3,500 young people in Galway City. Um, we're working in over 50 locations, so that would be a school setting, a primary school setting, an early years setting, but also um, situations such as a, an after-school youth project or a band jam recording studio. We support music tutors to engage these young people in performance music education, so it's very exciting. Pather King, you've again been very involved with many young people and many young music artists in Galway. The Black Gate, I suppose, something of a cultural hub. And I'm sure there are particular challenges as well associated with what you're trying to do for young people and music. There's been a kind of a disconnect almost between between certain ages and then being a professional musician. I think for us as the Black Gate, we came in as like the, the intermediary for a lot of those groups to play professional shows, but on, on, a, on a path to a bigger venue, on a path to a, a career, proper stagecraft, or even just learning to put on shows. And I think that a lot of people learn how to rehearse music and maybe can get things tight, but they don't know how to survive in the industry. Because if you don't get it right in those first five or six years, the chances are you'll kind of fall away. I suppose a lot of people might look at Galway in a very superficial way and think it must be a great place to be a young musician. Uh, yeah. Is there a different story of Galway behind the one that we, we often 
hear or see. Accommodation is not possible for people in town right now. It's not possible for young people to be able to afford the rates right now. They have to leave. There's things that are working against trying to support a younger community in them building a life, you know. I'm Martina Flardy. Uh, I'm from Loch Ray, and I'm a music tutor with Galway City and Galway County Music Generation and I'm also a singer-songwriter as well. Martini, what's your experience as, as a working musician? Sometimes a loud bar isn't the ideal place if you're a singer-songwriter. And just having more spaces that are suitable for singer-songwriters and for people who want to go and support music and not particularly in that sort of loud setting. And I guess to be able to make a, a decent income from your art It's still a little bit where people tend to ring up singers and musicians and ask them to do a lot of stuff without payment, you know. So um, they would be the things I would say need a little bit of work in the city. We need to look at our city and how we're planning our city and how we're planning our spaces in our city. Venues are at a premium in, in our city, which is one of the reasons why we started to develop our own here. But also accommodation for artists and salaries and living wages are extremely important. We've over... 81 local musicians who would be working with Pader here and Martina is one of them who are practicing professional musicians. For me, it's about fostering those artists and and looking at what are the practical things we can do in our city and our city planning to ensure that the reality is they don't have to move elsewhere for work. And it's so important that a young person knows what's coming for them and that it's going to be positive and that there are opportunities ahead of them. And if we're not able to provide that picture as a city, we are really uh, jeopardising our artistic values and, and jeopardising our social development values, for sure. So let the, let the capital match the cultural capital. Exactly, yeah. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Travelling this morning to visit a place I've been meaning to visit for years, the site of the Battle of Ockram, um, that battle from July 1691, where I suppose the Williamite forces finally defeated the force King James, and in many ways a more significant battle than the Battle of the Boyne. And I often think we, you know, we need to to stand sometimes in the landscapes, literally in the landscapes of history, in the ruins of history, to better understand where we are now. So here we are in the small village of Ockram in East Galway, between Ballinasloe and Loch Ray. And it's extraordinary to think that on a day in, in July 1691, about 7,000 men were slaughtered here in the course of about four hours of battle. Local people later remembered bodies scattered like sheep on the, in the fields here, rotting into the ground. The last, I suppose, de- decisive battle of the Williamite War and actually more important when you think about it than the Battle of the Boyne I suppose it's it's less iconic because the kings weren't here uh, the others were fighting so you know, in a way it was this this pitched battle as well for control not only in Ireland and Britain but in Europe you know you so you had the French the Dutch the Irish of course out of that battle then came a series of defeats, you know, Sarsfield's defeat, the Treaty of Limerick, uh, the flight of the Earls and the penal laws. And I suppose the history that has unfolded from that we live with still. How green this place is, how green this hollow, Glanafulla, bloody hollow, named because the fiercest of the fighting happened here on that July day in 1691. Bodies 
with blood soaking into the ground, bodies left here for up to a year afterwards. This is a story of a, of a wolfhound guarding his master's body for over a year until he was shot by a passing soldier. Of course, the, the battle became so iconic in song and literature. Sean O'Dear Glana after Ockram's great disaster. Uh, it's Richard Murphy's fine sequence of poems, The Battle of Ockram. What is it? The, the Battle of Absent Kings, as he termed it. Some wonderful poems in that. Today, the smell of nettles, whitethorn, greenness everywhere, two blackbirds flying past now. All imagine 20,000 soldiers on each side facing each other in these landscapes. And then this bloody battle. All seems so distant in a way, and yet so much of it held here in these fields, in this bloody hollow. Akram on our Akram of the slaughter. It was well named. What a beautiful place. You're very welcome. Fantastic. Very welcome, John and John. Good to see you. Awesome. Oh, man. Good to see you. I know. Yeah. It's been a while. From Ockram, we travel west to Anadown to meet the great Galway musician and composer Marcin O'Connor, whose unmistakable sound sometimes reflects and draws from the landscapes of this county. Marcin has composed the Galway Measure for this programme. Standing on the shores of Loch Corrib, he introduces his Galway Measure with a story about the great accordion player from Kilnadima, Joe Burke. To me, he was like a big oak tree of music and great stories. And there's one particular story I love. When electricity first came to the area, he was trying to explain it to some of the older people. And he said to them, well, it's a bit like this. You know, you have the switch in the wall and you have the bulb that lights up when you press the switch. It'd be a bit like, could you imagine if we had a a very long dog, he said, and his tail was here in the kitchen and his head was a few miles over there in Derry Bryan. If you stepped on his tail here in the kitchen, he'd bark in Derry Bryan. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. And total, total Joe. (laughs) Yeah, the surge of energy. Yeah, the surge (laughs) of energy. And of course, it's a very... Realistic. Hit the switch. Yeah, hit the switch. <laughs> hit the switch. <clears throat> and then your Galway measure. Oh, the us. Galway measure. Now, it's hard to get a full measure of Galway, to say the least. There's so many aspects to it. So I try to get a, a general sense, maybe, to contribute to that idea of the Galway measure. So I started with the slow air, which for me is the kind of rural side of Galway. The jig. There's a kind of a slightly classical element to it, I think, to do with the vibrancy of Galway, you know, the city that is so full of life. Between the students in the wintertime and the Galway races and the Galway Arts Festival and all this stuff during the summer, so it's, it never really sleeps that much. Then, I, I think in the piece of music, the river Carob rushes to the sea and then it kind of enters into the Galway Bay down at the Cladda Basin. Hopefully it's, it'll capture something of the county measure. Thank you. 
Accompanying Martin O'Connor there on the Galway measure were Fergus Cahill and Kira O'Connor. Here in the centre of Banlasloe, very close to the fair green, this lovely sculpture by James McCarthy, bronze horse and handler leading the horse by a tethered rope, taut rope. And around the man's neck today, a red plastic rosary beads and just been told by a local man that this is traditionally left around the man's neck as a mark of honour by the local travellers when one of their community dies and a local traveller man died in the last week. So they're honouring their connection to the fair and to the tradition of, of the horse and everything that's held in nobility in this really lovely piece. Objects can hold a store of history and they may reveal a lot about particular families or individual makers, indeed, about a community or place. A group of people in Banlasloe has begun to gather objects from the town's past, recent and ancient, to help build a kind of archive of object-based insight into the town and its layers of settlement and change. Hello. How are you? How are good. How are you? Good. 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 I meet some of the members of the new Balnasloe History Group in the town's fine library, where library assistant Abby McGowan explains the background to the project. This all really started when Fiona undertook the town enhancement scheme. She did some archaeological excavations here in town, and from that, the rosary beads that had been discovered during the dig, a replica was given here to the library. We've had a public meeting so far which had kind of an antiques roadshow style element to it where people bought in various artefacts that they had in the house and they were recorded speaking about them with the kind of eventual aim that we will have a museum or somewhere to house these artefacts that are around the town. We've generated an awful lot of ideas and different things that we can do, genealogy projects, oral history projects, all that kind of stuff. Abby mentioned uh, the rosary beads that was found in an archaeological dig. And uh, I think you might have a, uh, a replica of them to show us. Yes, this is the replica here. Uh, I'm Iggy Colahan, and I'm a hobby woodturner and woodworker. So it, it fell to you to make this replica? Yes, yes. It's in a frame, beautifully framed, behind glass. They're made from beech. I presume for you then it was, it was a, a joy to make oh, this. No doubt about it, because I had to modify the wood-turning lathe to get down to a smaller chuck on it and all this type of thing. It's beautifully <laughs> it done. Was, it was yeah. a challenge, yes. To be able to work with wood is one of the great oh, gifts. Yeah. My name is Fiona Maguire, and I'm an archaeologist, and I'm from Ballinasloe. Fiona... Tell me about the original beads then that were found and what they represent and tell us about Banlasloe. Well, uh, the, the set of beads um, were found uh, during an archaeological excavation not too far away, actually, 
from where we're sitting on Society Street. Um, and we found the remains of a later medieval cemetery. And the original set of beads were wrapped around the feet of a woman. And it's a type known as a corona. And it emerged from a street in Rome, in Italy, where the bead makers had their workshop uh, called Via dei Coronari. It was named after, after that street. And it's almost identical to a set that was found on the wreck of the Mary Rose, a Henry VIII's ship, which dates to the 16th century. So it kind of gives us a there or thereabouts date for it. My name is Michael Riddell. I'm from Banlasloe, so I am a big sports enthusiast too as well. So I'm interested mainly in the, the history of Banlasloe and surrounding area. This football that we have here um, was handed to me by the Welsh family. Their uncle Bobby Welsh was a founding member of the soccer club um, in 1951. This particular football that we have here, a little bit more research into it, it's an 18-panel football, so it is, and they would have come out in the 1950s. It's lovely to hold. The furthest I could get back was 1953. The first headline that came up was the Irish press, and I'll let you see it there yourself. Banlasloe objection to soccer. Yes. Playing in the first game of soccer in Banlasloe Fair Green many years has given rise to a local controversy. Yes. Yeah. So this came from my own father's collection, so it did. And it's dated 1953 as well, where he was in violation of Rule 27 with the Gaelic. Uh -huh. Where the Vigilance Committee had seen him playing on three occasions in Ahaloon, so they did. The Vigilante Committee, my goodness. I didn't yes. realise there was a Vigilante Committee. They were set up there to try and spot to see who was playing the foreign sport. So he was suspended then from playing Gaelic for a while. Uh -huh. So he stuck to the soccer. Well, I suppose one would, yeah. yeah. The, we, we have a really rich architectural heritage as well, and we're very lucky to have, you know, one of the most famous quarries in the country. And we have some beautiful buildings, and we're in one of them at the moment as well. Long tradition of building with limestone. I think some of the most beautiful stonework is over in Bridget's Hospital, which has been closed for generations. And, you know, for... A hospital, as it was called at the time, a lunatic asylum. I mean, that they went to such expense with the beautiful work. So there was a time, wasn't there, when you know, going to Banlaslow was nearly a synonym for being admitted to the psychiatric Especially hospital. Especially from the west of Ireland. Yes. You'd be sent to Banlaslow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> being sent to Banlaslow meant you would be committed to the psychiatric yes. hospital, to St. Bridget's in Banlaslow. There was no return from it. That was the thing because people were there for all their lifetime. We knew of one man, he went in as a 12-year-old boy, and he died, I think, 83 years of age. The first use of this building was as a reformatory school for girls. And when the reformatory school kind of uh, fell out of fashion, this then became an industrial school. So being sent to Banlaslow could also mean that you were sent here to the industrial school as well as to St Bridget's. This library building that we're in now was once a place that nobody wanted to come to and now we've kind of hopefully made it the kind of heart of a community you know we have the kids in and out for story time we do so many activities here the art exhibitions all that kind of stuff it's lovely now right beside us are young students very happily studying and reading everything turns <laughs> and and often things get better yeah. our group we're trying to encompass the music, the sport, the industries that were here in the town. We're trying to really cover everything because there is so much here and we are just trying to sort of, um, to capture it, I suppose, before it's all gone, so. We are all a credit to your community, I have to say. <laughs> it's, it's so lovely to see, you know, a, a movement like this, just people getting together uh, to not only remember, but to make something for the future. My name is Nuala O'Connor. I'm a writer based in Ballinasloe in County Galway. And this piece is about being a blow-in and finally coming to embrace the place I live. Frida Kahlo visits Ballinasloe. Frida Kahlo likes to walk in colour, but she is hard pushed on Society Street. We wander together up Sarsfield Road. Where is all the yellow, she asks, the red? Frida, in a floral dress and Mexican silver, draws a tiding of magpies from the sky. No parrots, she says, no hibiscus. 
Clouds part, a triangle of blue pleases her. Then she sees a scarlet Massey Ferguson, yew berries spilled like beads on the footpath, a woman in a crimson coat and man's shoes, a King Charles with a postcard Colleen's curls, tail lights like alien eyes spinning to a hasgra. Viva la vida, says unflinching Frida, painter of pain. She sings the reds of Sarsfield Road and they bleed into the veins of the town, pulsing its grey. One of the joys of living in a country town with a farming hinterland is the jewel-bright swagger of tractors, ancient and brand new, that drive casually as cars through the streets, taking up swathes of road and of the soundscape. Since moving to Ballinasloe, East Galway, in 2005, I've lost my colour-worshipping heart to many a blue New Holland, crimson Massey and grass-green John Deere. I love the way these farm machines laze brilliantly in car parks like country floozies or cut fine, proud figures along Dunlow Hill. Eighteen years ago, new to the town, I was also newly in love with a man and I liked the place we would call home. But still, like my poem about an imagined visit to Balnaslow by Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, the town looked and felt a little grey to me. And though it always seemed on the verge of exploding into blossom, the buds for me never quite ripened. Perhaps I wasn't paying proper attention. Now, after so many years here, I know exactly when the hedgerows and verges will swap snowdrops for sunshiny daffodils, trade plum-coloured tulips and pink blossoms for bluebells and lilac. I revel in the necklace of sycamores and copper beeches around the fair green, their leafy canopies arriving in a rush in May, their winter fingers black against a zinc sky. And I love the Mediterranean blue door of the cobbler's shop, the fur is yellow of the libraries. I appreciate too the circusy shades of the jumps in the showground, poles of sky blue and white, of candy stripe red, a riot of joy, waiting for the snudder and jolt of horse and rider. By rooting myself in this place, by planting rose bushes and evergreens, by giving birth to a baby here, by walking the town's paths and byways daily, walking through its seasons and my own, Ballinasloe has gladly revealed itself to me, nook by cranny and hue by lovely hue. The Westrav Bruvridge Youth Project is based in Chewham. In the centre there, I meet a really impressive group of young travellers and their mentors. Slender down, turn on your sender, take an edge off that all the way around, level it off. Feel all this here. There's no edge on this, no? In the workshop room, Owen Ward is teaching young Patrick how to hone his skills in wood turning and carpentry, and other teenagers are making ceramics with art teacher Martina Passman. There are bright futures being forged here. Hello, my name is Martin Ward. I'm the youth work manager here at Brewbridge at Church View Tomb. You're actually in the Men's Luban, or Fiend's Luban, which means Men's Shed, or Sobling's Luban, which means Young Boys Shed, uh, or it can be Locking's Luban, Girl's Shed. It all depends on who's using it at the time, so the name changes every so often, but Luban in Kant means shed. And it's, so it's, it's here as a resource for the community, for young people, and tell us what happens. Uh, basically, we do different kind of crafts. It's just to uh, get young people used to doing arts and crafts. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for young people to practice and start doing it. You can see Tom sticks being made here, uh, and Patrick's actually doing those, and there's a lot of work to be done, finished off yet, but he knows how to put them together. He knows how to do it. So when you say thumb sticks now, this is, so you get this shape on the top. That shape at the top. Yeah. They're from uh, deer antler. Uh-huh. And this ah. is, uh, these are hazel rods. That's hazel. Hazel, yeah. hazel yeah. is a hard stick, so it doesn't yes. rot. Deer antler on top, that's and you get that, get a V-shape, so V-shape you could, and you could sink your thumb, thumb into, into it. it. If you had a home like that, bit of a walking stick, hiking stick and that, 
if you do that, you have your kind of weapon and stick in the same thing. Because let's say if a wild dog starts moon at you, and you have your walking stick here, and then you can flatten them. Course, no, it's very sensible. Absolutely. What Good. Yeah, yeah. indeed. No, no, it's it's. it's yeah. He comes to here two evenings a week, and uh, Ron and Ron does the, the 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 carpentry with them and the crafts with them and the, the supervision. Patrick is he's careful. He's easy to teach. He's easy to learn. He takes his time. He has patience, and he doesn't have the mobile phone control in his life. You know what I mean? He's here to listen. I've never met a young lad in my life who wanted to put an antenna on a, on, a, on a stick for whatever reason, right? But look at it, it's made it, he's made it fashionable. So that's the, thinking, that's the thinking outside of the box. Roughly how many people, how many young people would have, would have come through the workshop here in the last few years? Oh, over the last few, few years, we, we would have had about 30. And we have kind of a core group here, about six at the moment. Uh, we, we've got different groups. They're all doing different things. Some are into other types of arts. Some are into drama, some are into acting, some are into uh, sketching and you know and there's some people just come in for a game of cards and these are young people Good lad Paddy We're going into the, the youth hall now and we'll meet Martina Passman and uh, her, she's got a crew she does arts and crafts with and uh, she's doing some stuff at the table there now and you can chat with her and chat with the young people This is Dean They'll talk uh, yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm Vincent um, My name is Dean Ward I'm 17 and I'm here in Egan House and we're doing sculptures out of clay. There's two mushrooms and a butterfly and just the tools we're using to create them. Hello, I'm Michael and I was making a butterfly out of clay. And do you use another image on your phone, I think, is there something? Yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, a horse. I got bored inside of an engineering class because the teacher wasn't in, so I just drew. <laughs> I got bored, so I said, you know what I'll do? I'll take out the sketch pad. And uh, I had an old picture I did last year with uh, my art teacher. I said I'd keep that for any good measure. Cut it out and uh, traced it out and just did a bit of shading referencing off the picture. Did the other side and I did that. I'm hoping to become an artist when I'm older. Fantastic and full marks for initiative in not wasting the time of the class. You know, just get on with what you want to do. <laughs> it's, the right, it's the right attitude, you know. I'm interested in singing, art and acting. Can you do a little bit of acting here? Last February we made a short film here and we, are, we originally had a script but everyone kind of started dropping out because I think it was their nerves and everything wasn't going the way we expected it. So everyone was dropping out. I was like, no, I was like, we have to do it. He said, he's, like, he's coming down. So I was like, I'll do something. So... I stayed up all that night and I wrote a script in three hours and then I didn't sleep and then we ended up shooting the scene and then after we finished acting of the scenes for the day, I conked out for hours so that I was so tired. Yeah, it's hard work being writer, director and <laughs> performer. Yeah. You're entitled to get a rest at the end of it. He's a great singer too and actor, Dean is, you know, there's a lot of talent around great. the place. Brilliant. We've done lino printing here as well and etching and um, great. watercolour, oil painting, you know, we tried to cover you know, wide range of different art techniques and to teach them to the young people, you know, to give them access oh, yeah, to as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you know what you might really like to do. Yeah. Mm. Hi, my name is Margaret Ward and I am a youth worker. Hi, my name is Ariana Ward and I'm a youth worker. And what then what do you do here? Um, well, we help facilitate the um, youth clubs during the weekend. We help organise and clean up and we help Martina with the arts and... Before you did became youth workers, did you do some of the courses like the art or drama yourself? Um, no, before I was youth worker here, I was in youth reach. I did level five childcare out there for a year before I came here. Right. And in here you get training and, yeah. you know, you, there's great opportunities, I find, anyways. But it seems like a great resource, this yeah. place. It is, yeah. It's very good for the children. Especially when they have nowhere else to go and them, so they come here. There's something every evening for the boys and the girls, so. Like, our numbers is up very high as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Some evenings you don't want to go home. Good, so yeah, I can that's imagine. a good thing, yeah. Absolutely, that's mm. and that's always a really good yeah. sign. Yeah, if time you don't you don't want to go home, yeah. you want to stay. It's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get all as good with them because most of them is family anyway. I think, I think they got tired being quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Will you have a cup of coffee or a uh, drink? Or? I'll have a cup of something, all right. Whiskey? <laughs> I'm driving. <laughs> I better not. <laughs> in Carly's Bar in Portumna, I meet Sean Canning, father of the Hurling dynasty that includes County Hurling legends Joe and Ollie and former Galway Camogie player Deirdre. And indeed, Sean is a bit of a legend himself. Sean Canning, it's lovely to meet you. Uh, you could almost say the father of modern Galway Hurling. <laughs> kind of remarkable to have a daughter and six sons, all of whom became champions. And it must be something in the, in the water or the air around Portumna. Well, from the mother's side, maybe more than the father's <laughs> side. She had three brothers and they were very good hurlers with kilt armour. I can't claim the whole lot. Anyway. You can claim some of it. But you used to play yourself a bit when you were I used, young. Yeah, I used to play with the club here. Moona Junior County Final 1982. Pictures up there on the wall, actually. And uh, I was 37 that time. Galway hurling now. Good, yes. sh- good shape. Yeah, they're in good shape now. They're, they seem to be in better shape now than they were a couple of years ago. We have a good young lad here now from Portum and on the panel as well. Take the McLaughlin, a neighbour of ours from the one village. Always good to him now this year. Sean, I suppose you had a, a, a great sadness in your life last year. Josephine, your your wife, died, and the two of you had been a, a stout team together yes. over many decades. Yes, yes. Well, we met in nineteen sixty-four, and we married in nineteen sixty-nine, and. Uh, she was a great friend and a great wife. She was the brains really behind our house. But God help us, cancer took her away at 74, which wasn't bad, but... It's too young. It was too young for me, for, for my sake. You remember the first time you saw her? I definitely the do. Dance Hall in Kilt Harmer, 1964, September 1964. Christian Ballroom, Kilt Harmer. She stuck me anyway. <laughs> Well, we, we had a happy life. We had a happy life. That was our first sad thing. You didn't let setbacks with your heart stand in the way of getting to the games? Well, as you know, maybe I got a heart attack in Croke Park in 2005. Uh, Ali was playing in Cork in the senior match and Joe was playing minor with, against Limerick. And uh, at halftime in the minor match, I had got a pain in my chest and I... But I do not think just holding done it, I think. <laughs> just my food down the years. More likely, I think, farmer, all right. Farmer likes that meat and everything. And I suppose you were at Crow Park, might have saved you. You were in the right place, you were beside the matter. Well, I think so, and they were so good in the matter. And I'm fine it, I think, you're, it's made of them. You certainly are. As you see, I'm not too bad. <laughs> Sean, it's a pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you, Vincent. I hope I... <laughs> Portumna has a lively arts and literary scene with its annual Shorelines Arts Festival presenting a strong mix of local and national writing, music and visual art. In the busy Café Rose, two stalwarts of the arts scene, Eileen Smith and Monique McGuinness, meet for coffee and a chat. We're just back from a reading programme this morning, the two of us. The Missing Trees is the name of it. A wonderful book on Cyprus. It would really do anybody very good. No, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting town. I mean, again, the workhouse is the such workhouse an iconic building. The workhouse is a building. wonderful building. Yes. And it was opened in 1852, so it was post-famine. Uh, we had a big gate on the outside and you couldn't get in. We had more people trying to get in than to get out. And, uh, of course, you probably know, and the whole country knows, that the people were divided and the women were put in one and the men in another. And the sad thing about it, the children were separated if they were two years old from the, the family. Monique, Monique, Monique loved Ireland so much, Monique's husband, that he changed his name to McGuinness. After the stout, he changed into Maginez because he said, "If I am, uh, how you say, uh, 
inebriated and uh, I'm stopped by the Garda. I will always know my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, had a, we were very good friends of the Dubliners when they were not known. The Dubliners, when they were not known, we were their friends because we were the neighbors of uh, Barney McKenna. And they used to stop in the, in the house and their neighbor, he had a the, the, the shake, <laughs> but he still loved the whiskey, so so that he didn't spill the whiskey. He had to drink it with a with a straw. <laughs> so, anyway, that was his birthday, and and, and the, the Dubliners were there, and they say they played a little tune for him. It was a summer; we could be outside. Our house was always full of musicians, you know, so it was nice. The setting sun is a silver gleaming band on the slate blue water. We're sailing for an island, leaving Cleggan for Inish Boffin. Inish Bofinia, the island of the white cow, supposedly a floating shape in the water till humans set foot on it, lit a fire, and the magic left. An old woman was seen, supposedly, leaving with her white cow. The poet Richard Murphy sailed here in 1960 and wrote his great sequence of poems. And an interesting detail of the history of, of this island until 1873 was actually officially part of County Mayo. The change happened, became part of Galway because of a particular severe localised famine in West Connemara and Inish Boffin and Inish Ark in the winter of 1872-1873 and the quickest way to get relief was from the poor law union, the workhouse in Clifton rather than Lewisburg. That was done. Somehow the shift happened and the island since has remained part of Galway. The Inish Boffin Ferry crosses three times a day. Passengers view the harbour and on shore, people view the new arrivals. My name is uh, Francis Lavelle. I'm the postman on Inish Boffin for the last two years. Yeah, as you can see now, the ferry is fairly busy today with a lot of people around, so it's, it's busy with the marathon and everything, so it's probably one of the busiest weekends of the summer, but... The first view they have when they come in is, is the tower going walk over there and they come into one, probably one of the most sheltered harbours in, in, in the country against all types of, you know, types of wind direction and storms and stuff. Port Island is over there. That's called Broge, we call it, where there's sheep grazing over there at the minute. So. And there's the inner little pool, we call it over here, where the boats moor. The inner pool, we do call it, yeah. And this, Outlet here is called Dunin, just opposite the church. There used to be bonfires held there on St. John's at one stage, 23rd of June. So that tradition is still, is still going. People just gather with their rubbish and we just have a massive bonfire. It's then Cromwell's Castle. Yeah. That's where Cromwell kept his prisoners back in the day. It was reported that he kept monks, monks in that place. That's Cromwell's legacy over there. <laughs> Here in, in Harbour Lights bookshop, very close to the harbour in Inishbotham, and I want to buy this, the little book of Inishbotham by Joanne and Eric Elliott. And Des, you run the shop. I do indeed, Vincent. When did it open? It opened in 2019, so now this is my fifth summer coming up. 
It's a yes. beautiful bookshop. Thank you. Delighted Thank you. to find it. It's this little gem here close to the harbour. And I hope lots of people spot it and come in. Des, tell me a little bit about Joanne and, and Eric. Eric Elliot. Eric, her husband, passed away some years ago. But they produced this beautiful book called The Little Book of Inishbuffin. And now Joanne, at the moment, has just published her first novel called Love in the Shadow of Mao, which I'll be having soon, too. Great to have as a little great guide to, to, the, yes. to the island. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. wonderful. Uh-huh. Des, thanks a million. Thanks it's a great. Good to Delighted. see you here. Yeah. Delighted to be here. And I hope to see you again. Yeah, and I hope you have a great summer in the bookshop. Thank you. You're well done, good on you. Would you like some water? I used to like buffalo. You yeah, do, yeah, yeah. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll come to love it again. It was again. lovely, I hate it. Well, well done, good on you. Leaving Des O'Halloran in his Harbour Lights bookshop, it's impossible to escape the energy of the annual half marathon and 10k race. I'm Jackie. I'm one of the organisers of the Inish Buffin Half Marathon and 10k. I've been on the island since I came on holidays 28 years ago. Came for two days and stayed. I love the clank of the medals. Everyone, everyone who finishes gets a rather elegant medal. It must be one of the most scenic half marathon routes anywhere. Yeah, well, the route, um, it's a loop of the island, so they, they start at the community centre um, and they do a loop up the hill past the school and all the way down the hill to the east end to the beach. So it's a nice, it's a steep hill up and a lovely long run down. And they do that loop three times for the half marathon and then they, on the fourth run, they do the steep hill again and then they come down to the community centre. And I have a little girl here with some medals ready to give out to people. Are you excited, Ruby? I am. Yeah. Um, this race is all for the charity Down Syndrome Galway. And Ruby is going to present the medals. Doing a very good job of it too. She is. Oh, first 10K is home. Determined energy on Inish Boffin and all in a good cause. Everywhere we travelled in Galway we found community spirit at its best and strongest. But there is an anxiety at work too. Young people struggle for accommodation, the practical challenges of being a musician or artist, trying to work and survive in a place that builds a reputation on the arts. An uncertain economy in small towns. Who could have imagined that a war in Ukraine would bring some small good to a Gaelthut school in Connemara. We never know what the tide will carry or turn. To see a curragh on the water or a glochog or pukon red against the sky is to be reminded of the wonder of human achievement, the best of what we can do in harnessed harmony with nature, a glimpse of how sustainable Galway can be.